Has your local footy club had a recent clangor or challenge? Well, Amy is here to help. The Amy Clangers for Good competition is back for 2024. This year, Amy are donating $10 for every clangor recorded during the AFL season with eight community clubs in the chance to win up to $15,000. If you want your club to go into the running in 100 words or less, tell us how Amy can help your club bounce back from a recent challenge. Enter now at amy.com.au forward slash clangers for good. That's amy.com.au forward slash clangers for good. T's and C's apply. Cobram Estate is the most awarded Australian extra virgin olive oil. Let it be the hero when entertaining family and friends. Cobram Estate extra virgin olive oil is fresh and full of flavour. Perfect for roasting, frying, baking, dressing salads and for dipping bread. Make your food taste even better with a little help from Cobram Estate. Premium quality, great tasting and a versatile, healthy alternative. Buy in store at all major retailers. G'day guys, welcome back to Dylan Friends. This week on the show, an incredible guy, Jadon Comerford, the founder and owner of Unified Music. One of Australia's fastest growing independent companies, Unified Music, uh, is, is unbelievable. It's a label, they publish, they tour, they do festivals, merchandise, and absolutely everything um, under the sun. They've even... Uh, opened up now their own uh, venture capitalist company called Side Stage Ventures, which Jadon has, has done, which is which is really really cool. Um, they're actually all over the world as well: Melbourne, Sydney, Los Angeles, and London. And um, and Jadon's been unbelievable. I actually came across Jadon and met him um, a few months ago. He's a mutual friend of Nick Crocker. If if anyone's listened to the Nick Crocker episode, um, I got in touch with Jadon through Nick and. Yeah, we just linked up on on um on his story, and I just want to get some advice from him of of his business and how he's done his thing, which is is genuinely unbelievable. He founded um you know his music business when he was I think seventeen years of age when he officially went out on his own and um you know manages and and tours with some of the biggest artists in Australia, including Vance Joy, Tash Sultana, uh, Violent Soho, and and so many more. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really incredible story. So. I love it. If anyone loves, um, you know, their business and also just taking risks, taking chances, and and um, and doing what they want to do and doing what they love, you have to listen to this episode. You'll learn so much. So, love this episode from Jaden. Make sure you enjoy it, and uh, let's go, Ely. Hi, fam. It's Dylan's mum, Deborah. This is Dylan Friends. He's like, you can embarrass yourself. And I was like, bro, do you want me to do all seven verses? Bit arrogant. Didn't know all yeah. seven. <laughs> so I've been in a bad team for 10 years and we got a chance to do something pretty special this year. All you can do is put your hand up and say you're wrong. Banter is a way that guys connect, a way that we can kind of play it safe with someone until we get to know them. I try to fix people sometimes. I'm like, Dan, stop doing that. Just listen. And you stack on top of that the habit of not taking your phone when you take your dog. It's easy. They had no other way to get out of the cave and we either turn our backs on them, in which case they're going to die, or we give this crazy idea a go. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Jaden, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Mate, Good unbelievable to, to, to finally get in the studio. Um, how are you going? You've been busy. Did you just get back from the States as well? I did, yeah. I was over there. I uh, got back a couple weeks ago. How was? It was great. Yeah, it was my first trip overseas since uh, February 2020. What'd you do? Over there at work stuff? or? Yeah, I was over there for work. I was in the US and Canada. Uh, we had Vance Joy uh, doing a bunch of shows over there to launch his new album. Mm. And then we also had a big Tash Sultana show at Red Rocks, which is a really iconic venue just outside of Denver. It's like a 10,000 person outdoor amphitheater, like sort of in the mountains with um, just surrounded by these huge Red Rocks. It's pretty epic. So wow. yeah, it was pretty cool. How does one do that? Like, how does she go over there and like organize a show like that? Is that you guys? Like, is that like you do that as a team or? Yeah. So we, we manage Tasha's career yeah. uh, in conjunction with another company in Melbourne called Lemon Tree Music. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we've been working together for about four years. And yeah, we started at the start in the US. You know, the first time I saw Tash play in America was in Boston. We had 200 people there. 
Um, and yeah, that's sort of where it starts. And we went around, went around the US again and again and again. And, you know, now we're selling out 10,000 tickets in Colorado and, you know, the next stop will be the next stop. But yeah, it's just a bit of, bit of hard work. Unbelievable. I can't wait to unpack this all today. Um, and especially for you, you know, and knowing your story as, as we've met before and, um, it's an incredible one and it truly is, you know, it's really inspired me, um, in a, in a similar industry that's so different, um, that, you know, what you've been able to do with yourself personally, unified music and, and our side stage ventures, it's, it is really incredible. So, um, I can't wait to chat. Let's, um, let's start at the start cause it's always a good way to go. Um, what was your journey to music? How'd you get into it? Well, yeah, right back to the start, like mum wanted me and my two brothers to play music. So we started, I think everyone starts with the recorder, but like the yeah. real first instrument was the piano. Running bear? Oh, what's that? Running Bear. Uh, Did you ever play Running Bear on the recorder? Neither. I'll have to check with mum. But yeah, piano. um, I eventually started playing the clarinet. Um, I wanted to play the sax, but they said, why don't you start with the the clarinet and then we'll get you onto the sax when you're a bit older. But but by the time I got around to that, I'd found the guitar. So I was about 13. I started playing Green Day and Nirvana and stuff like that. And that was when I really, I guess, first discovered music that I just loved, like just, just couldn't get enough of. Um, and then it was, yeah, I was about 13 years old and mum let me go and see the offspring play, uh, at festival hall. So I was like 13 years old and you know, the offspring now is sort of like a, you know, sort of a bit of a pop band, I guess. Mm. But back then when you're 13, like it was like the most, it was almost like the most dangerous, like crazy chaotic place you could be as a 13 year old. And the opening band was the living end, uh, who we all know. And, um, so the first band I ever saw was the living end followed by the offspring. And honestly, that, that was the night where my life really just changed because I got so hooked on this idea of like being a part of, I guess, a culture of, you know, punk music and all this sort of stuff and seeing people with mohawks and, you know, dyed hair and all that sort of stuff. So that was sort of when I yeah got really, really hooked on it. Unbelievable. You know, it's really crazy. Just since you've said that, I think the first, well, I know the first band I ever saw was Green Day. So that was when I was in grade six in primary school. We went with my um, my best mate's dad, who was, you know, it was a young, cool dad, took us yeah. to Green Day, sort of said to mum, like, no, there's no swearing, you know, it is what it is. And I'm pretty sure the Living End opened for them as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was yeah. at, like back at, you know, I think it was called Telstra Dome back then. Yeah. But yeah, incredible live show, which is, is crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. And so, Around that time, my brother bought me the Offsprings album Smash, um, which is, uh, you know, up until recently, one of the biggest selling independent albums of all time. It was released on a label called Epitaph Records. And Epitaph Records is a label from California, started by Brett Guritz from a band called Bad Religion. Mm-hmm. And they put out some of the best punk rock records of all time, like Rancid, Bad Religion, Offspring. And I started to become really obsessive about this logo and basically what I ended up doing was just going to well, JB Hi-Fi or, you know, whatever other CD shops were around at the time. And I would just buy records that were on that label. You're right. Because I was like, well, if, if that stamps on it, it must be good. And so it became this brand that I trusted. And, 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 and as I got, you know, a little bit older, I found other brands like Fat Records, um, Burning Heart Records. These are other sort of punk labels from other parts of the world that I learned to trust. Um, and then sort of got to this stage at one point where I was like, well, why don't I do that? You know, why don't I build something like that? Which sounds like a really crazy idea for like a, I was probably about 15 when I started to have these thoughts. And then me and a friend had a band um, and his dad worked at Shock Records, which used to be, you know, one of Australia's biggest independent record labels. And this guy, Sam said to the two of us, he goes, 
oh, you guys got a band. Like, why don't you make a record and put it out on your own record label? And it was this really pivotal moment in my life where Jackson, the guy I started the band with, he heard, oh, awesome, we're going to put out a record. But I heard, oh, awesome, we're going to start a record label. And so within about six months, I left the band, he left the record label, <laughs> and I went off and, and, and tried to see what it could be like to start a record label. And that was uh, in 2000 and 2001 going into 2002. I was 17, turning 18. I just finished high school. And I was yeah sitting in my bedroom in Eaglemont um, at my parents' house with a, with a record label and trying to figure out how to make sense of that. Where does one, where does one start with, with a record label? Did you, have, did you have any idea what you were doing? Uh, so the original idea we had for the label was to uh, put out a compilation of uh, Australian punk bands mm-hmm. to sort of build a name for the the brand, which was called Boomtown Records, before we put out our own record. And So, so this before is, you unified your Boomtown. That's correct, yep. yeah. And so this is kind of like really old school marketing, but we like literally went to like Beat Magazine and like in the classifieds put like a, you know, 50 words like, you know, uh, Boomtown Records making compilation send demos to this address. You know, it was like that, you know, it's 2002. You know? yeah. It feels like a million years ago when you're doing things like that. And so people started sending in, in demos and there was this one band called Wishful Thinking um, and they sent in their whole album and they said, well, we, we, you know, we'd love to be on the compilation, but also we're looking for a label to put out this record. Like, what do you think? And I'm like, hell yeah, this is awesome. Really cool pop punk band. They've been playing shows with bands like Mill and Colin and MXPX and I don't know if you know these bands, but these are all the bands that I used to go see. And so really all it took was um, they just needed their album put onto CDs. So I found a place to print CDs and we printed the CDs and I helped them sell them. And it was from that you know really initial concept and that initial idea that uh, I guess in a way I'm sitting here today, you know, 20 years later from putting in, you know, 400 bucks to make those CDs to, 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 to now. And obviously a lot's happened between now and then, but it was, I've said this before, but the only difference between having a record label and not having a record label is saying you've got a record label. Cause I didn't have a record label. I just had a, a name and a, and a belief that maybe I could build one. That's really weird. Yeah. Because that's like any business really. Yeah. Uh, it applies to anything in life. Yeah. Like there's certain you could like I can't say I'm a doctor because yes. I, I I haven't <laughs> haven't trained as a doctor, but yeah, you could say you're a podcaster. You yeah. could say you're a you know, you're, you're anything. Well, um, I think we actually did say we had a podcast network, and basically it was my own two shows on go. the show of this network. There's nothing else there. Well, I was, we from a joke the other day. Like, remember the show Entourage? Yeah. And like uh, the manager E. He like registers his business, the Murphy Group. Yep. And they'll yeah. tease him because like it's just you. You can't be the Murphy <laughs> yeah, Group. It's yeah. just you. <laughs> but you know, that's how you, you start and you you know, you project something and you build something. I'm a big believer in that. I get way too weird on this way too often. But do you think that was a big part of your story was like creating something with really not much of an idea to do it, but you put this big picture out there and it sort of just manifests into something else? I think in hindsight, yeah. Like at the time I really didn't know what I was doing. Um I guess I felt like I felt empowered to try. I felt like supported by my folks, especially. I was living at home. They were, mm. they were paying, you know, I didn't have to pay rent. Um, it was sort of like almost, it wasn't pre-mobiles, but it wasn't like you weren't using mobile. So I was using the landline to like call Sydney, like to try to get a, a story in a magazine or something. And every now and then mum would be like, you just had like a $75 phone call to Sydney. Can you just like calm it down kind <laughs> of thing? Um but I guess I just didn't feel like 
it was either I, I either didn't think I could fail or maybe I felt like I could handle the failure. Um, but either way, I just kept going um, and and never really had a, gave myself a chance to stop mm. and, and go, this is too hard. I just sort of kept going. And, and you're obviously bootstrapping this. You're doing it yourself. What sort of things were you doing for the bands? Like obviously booking in gigs, helping record. Like what, what lengths were you going to, to look after them? Yeah, so technically a record label's job is to promote the sound recordings. Yeah. So the record label doesn't organize gigs or merchandise or all these sorts of things that I was actually doing. And so really what I was probably doing was overcompensating for the fact that maybe I wasn't actually a very good record label because um, I didn't have a promotions department or a, mm. you know, a sales department. It was just me. Um, so, yeah, I would just help out however I could. Like organizing gigs was a big one um, because these bands that I first started working with were so small. They didn't have an agent. They didn't have a manager. Um, and so that's what that's how it evolved for me. Eventually, um, a couple of the bands were like, hey, can you be, be our manager? So I'm like, oh, awesome, you know. Boomtown Records, you know, the management company, you know, the, the empire expands kind of thing. You know, there was a moment where um, one of the sort of first success stories we had was with a local band called Behind Crimson Eyes and they were on tour in Perth and they'd run out of T-shirts. And they called me up and they said, and I wasn't their manager, I was just their record label, but we really need T-shirts. Like, um, do you think you could organize them for, for us? I'm like, yeah. So I figured it out, got them printed and then, all right, well, can you send them over? And then, you know, we looked up how much it was going to cost and it was going to cost a fortune to overnight these shirts to Perth. Uh, then I went on Virgin. Oh, well, flight's only this much. You want me to just bring them over myself? And so that got on the plane with a few boxes of T-shirts turned up in Perth and next thing I know, I'm their manager because, you know, that's that's the kind of lens that I went to to, mm. to, to help. So it's just a, a, a few of these sort of key moments where I just sort of, I guess, took the ball by the horns and didn't really uh, – just didn't really think there was another option and, and it sort of it just opened doors for me, I guess. I love that. I love that early days, like those little defining moments that can turn into something that you never thought you could be. Does anything stand out to you where it was the first moment you go, fuck, I could be onto something here. This is this is cool. Yeah. Well that like that band especially, like it was yeah. a really interesting time. So Pine Crimson and I ended up selling, you know, a lot of records. We sold about twenty thousand records. And it I was so not in the music industry. Like I was probably 19. Like I, I didn't even know how to check the ARIA charts other than like buying the newspaper and like flicking through, you know, it was that kind of early days. But it was moments where like our band started to get played on Triple J mm. and started to get into things like the ARIA charts where and th the big moment for me was um, the Amity Affliction, who is a band that we've worked with for many years. They had their first number one record. And that was a moment for me where um, they were up against the, the presets um, and we just thought there's no chance of beating the presets. Wouldn't it be great to have a number two record? But we had a number one record. And and so that was the first time that me and the company, and there was only a handful of us at the time. Um, but what kind of came next was really quite quite amazing because we the business was, so this is around 2012. We were working with um, Amity Affliction, uh, Violent Soho, Illy, um, North Lane, like amazing, amazing bands. And... Um, and then one day my little brother called me up um, and he said, oh, one of my mates just recorded a new song that I want to send to you. Um, and I was like, oh, who is it? He said, oh, it's James. I was like, oh, James, yeah, James Keogh. Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't know, didn't know he was making music, but that's cool. Yeah, send it over. Um, and the song was Riptide um, by Vance Joy. And it was it was a funny moment because I uh, – 
I don't know why I did this, but the first thing I did after I finished listening to the song was I stood up and I shut my door and I was in the office. So I don't know who I was trying to hide this from, but I was like, oh my freaking God. Like I've just found something that, you know, as far as I knew at that point, it was like me, James and my brother were the only people that knew about it. So I'm going to shut the door so no one else finds out. (laughs) I just got goosebumps then when you told that story. Yeah. That's unbelievable. So that was a pretty pivotal moment because I guess sort of, I sort of set it up there with the sort of the Amity Affliction story because I was... You know, didn't necessarily think I was at the top of my game, but equally was very proud of where we're at as a business and 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 the achievements that we we're having and the success we we're having, particularly with the sort of the more hard rock and like hardcore bands. But then to have something like that come into my life and go, oh wow, like this is incredible. Um, I guess just allowed me to, I guess, open up my whole idea of what was possible, uh, and not to say we left anything behind. Like all those artists still work with us today but we were able to sort of build the business to a whole nother level. Yeah. Just on, on James, what happened from there? Like once you heard Riptide, what was the discussion with him? How did things transpire? Yeah, so I, I got his number off my brother Aaron um, and I, I called James and he didn't answer because um, he was a gardener at the time and he called me back shortly after five o'clock when he'd finished work and uh and he was stoked to hear from me and i was i was stoked to hear from him because i was starting to get stressed um which is just you know i was like oh my god pulling my hair out um but no it was it was literally the next day where we caught up and um because him and my brother have been friends for many years so we had a relationship we just never had a professional relationship so but i think the personal relationship really helped because he knew that he could trust me um i knew that i could trust him he knew that i could do the work i hadn't shown I didn't have the track record of working with an artist like that um but that's where that's actually where my 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 wife came in so um Rachel who I work with to this day um we weren't married at the time we were we were just we just started dating and she was working at a different management company and she had more of a background working with artists like Vance Joy and so I said to her well why don't we why don't we co-manage Vance Joy together um you know you have your business I have my business and we'll just do it together and that was sort of how it all, all started. And um, that weekend we went and saw him play. He was playing a little tapas bar on Smith Street called Babita, which isn't there anymore. Mm. Um, we went down there and, uh, you know, there was probably like eight, eight people having their dinner and he's just in the corner playing a few songs and all of a sudden he plays a Riptide and everyone's like, what the hell is that? Um, and, yeah, kind of the rest is history really. Um, we pretty t- quickly took him overseas and started meeting different like big labels over there. And um, it's a... It, it was definitely a like a in what some people say overnight success, but it was you know a very long night. Yeah, if it's a thirty-year overnight success. Yeah, exactly. And so it'll be ten years this year since we started working with James. So um, you know, a long a long time in in the scheme of a lifetime, but mm. you know, a lot's been achieved in that time. Oh, he's a star. Um, absolutely incredible story. And yeah, from all reports, like it's in that mutual. I feel like maybe he's just got that. Thing about him being Australian, and, and I feel like everyone thinks they know him. Like you, you feel like you are connected to him, and obviously he played footy as well. So like every time I see him, I'm just like, fuck, that's that's Vance Joy. Funny story about Vance Joy though. Um, we talk about music, and I I think like the most incredible part about it, and just a funny story about that in particular, was when I moved to Sydney. Um, and this is why I love music so much. You can really like put soundtracks to your life, and like when a song hits you at a certain time, it means so much in different ways. 
And I remember when I left footy, I'd just um, gone to uh, from Carlton. You know, really like weird time in my life. I was really stressed. I had no fucking idea what I was going to do. And I just got this opportunity that I don't even know to this day. I wake up sometimes and think, if that didn't happen, I don't know where I'd be. So I remember going to the airport. I literally found that I was going to the Giants. Within like two hours, I was on a flight. And there was all this like thing about the flight and I was just, my head was buzzing and I was jumping on this um this Qantas flight and I just didn't know where I was, had no idea what was going on. And I remember seeing this guy being like, fuck, I know that guy. And normally I'd always go up and say hello to someone if I know them. But I was at the time, I was like, oh, no, nah, I'm just moving to Sydney. Like, I'm just in my head, just got to do this. And as soon as I got off the plane, I realised it was Vance Joy. <laughs> And ever since like that moment, I was like, fuck, I'm going to listen. Like, you know, I was listening to all his music. So all like nostalgically, Riptide like just brings back that time of my life. It's got such a special moment to it. And I suppose where I'm going with this in a very long-winded speech is that that song can mean something completely different to what it means to me. But I love the fact that whatever happens, like it still connected me in that way yeah. um, with him. So you can pass that on if you like. No, nah, well, that's awesome. Yeah. No, and that's the beauty of music. Like yeah. it's a soundtrack to our lives. You know, we can't, we could try to live without it, but we'd struggle to live without music, I think. Well, imagine like that's one person that's listening to that song. Imagine the hundred of other million people that have a different resemblance to that song for them. Yeah. And that's why it's so crazy. Totally. So crazy. Um, other artists that, you know, you've worked with, I wonder like with this, I know what it was like being a player and how managers or management or labels come around and clubs meeting with clubs. Like how do you go about signing artists um, yeah, with labels? So, yeah, so so I guess to sort of expand a little bit, so Unified Music Group is, yeah. a, is a group of companies. So like as I said right at the beginning, we were, Boomtown Records just started as a record label. But now we have a, we have a record label, we have a management company, mm. we have a booking agency, we have a merchandise company, we have a music publishing business, we have a festival company. They're all under the group of Unified Music Group. Awesome. So we're signing different artists in different ways all the time. And so really it comes down to the team wanting to work with the artist. So we don't have a system where like sort of I sign everyone and just sort of hand them off mm. to people to do the work. It's it's very much the the team members are empowered to go and find artists that they want to work with and sort of um, there's some some permission that's required but very little you know it's like if you believe in this let's go let's do that uh, a lot of artists do come to the company so we're able to sort of share those artists with the team hey we're having a conversation with this artist who wants to get involved that sort of stuff but ultimately you know we're in the business of building careers mm. um, and so we want to connect with people that we think we can work with to help build their careers awesome early days though was yeah. that just you doing it yeah it was just me probably for the first five years of yeah. the business so yeah, I would just find a band that I loved and and back them. And you know, in hindsight, I could look at the ones that were successful and the ones that weren't. Um, in hindsight, I could I could see why. Uh, maybe the genre was too niche, or you know, I don't know, the band didn't tour as much. Um, but then I just I just signed bands that I loved, um, things that I thought were going to do really well. What was it about um, artists? And I suppose this isn't a a one you know size fits all type question, but was there something in a group or artist that you'd always look for where you go, I want to sign these guys? Uh, I think it used to be that I just love the music, yeah. and it still is that I love the music. Um, but I think in this in this day and age, like where we are right now, with how competitive like you know the attention economy is, as far as like getting people's attention, we need to work like artists need to work harder than ever. Yeah, um, everyone does. Uh, sports people, podcasters, business people, everyone's working harder than ever. But ultimately it also comes down to what your goals are. And so it's about trying to, you know, sit with someone and go, look, I really love what you do, but what are you trying to achieve? 
because if you're if you don't want to put in the hard yards, um, it, it's less like we don't want to work with you. It's mm. it's more going well. You probably don't need us. You can probably just do that on your own, because the reality is we're in the business of of managing professional music careers. We're not in the business of managing you know Dill who plays at the local pub every second Friday. Mm. Um, there's no point in you paying us a commission for you to do that gig. You can just figure it out yourself. Mm. Well, that was probably where like the the question comes from because. I think, you know, I go see a lot of live gigs. I love going out watching people. And I go, after a few beers as well, your, your eardrums might be more like lubricated to listening to people sing. But I always think, fuck, this person that's singing tonight, I normally fall in love with them and go, how are you not on a world stage? And I was wondering if there's something that separates, you know, you look at someone like, you know, James or Kid Leroy or Tash Sultana, for example, that have gone from Australia to absolute incredible heights. Yeah. Versus other Australian artists that are, are nearly just as good on talent, but haven't been able to do it. Like, does that does that make sense? I, yeah. I suppose there's not a one fit answer to that as well. No, it's such a hard one. It's like people talk about like the hit song next door, like the like John across the street might have the best song ever. Yeah, he's a Sparky or a school teacher, like whatever he does, or 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 she. Anyone can make a great song. Anyone can have a great voice. Anyone can be a great guitar player. But can you pull it all together into that one magical, you know, get struck by lightning kind of moment? Like, that's the bit that I think if we all, if we, if we could figure that out, like, we'd, we'd all be doing it. Because mm. um, yeah, I know plenty of artists, and I've worked with plenty of artists that are like, this is the song, this is it, this is going to happen, and then just nothing happens. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's probably some clever word or phrase for it, but it's just sometimes it just doesn't. It's like it's missing that magic, that magical moment. Mm. Mm. Yeah. There's a band that I love um, in the UK, and I actually like they're they're very small, and I've like messaged them heaps. They never get back to me. But um, <laughs> it's called Frankie Stew and Harvey Gunn. They're like an English like rap duo. They got like ten thousand followers, but I listen yeah. to them all the time. Yeah, I'm like, how the fuck are these guys not like world renowned um, artists? And uh, to be honest, they still could. Yeah. But yeah, I've always just thought about it. Like, it's just such a crazy such a fickle industry like you could be in out like you just don't know what it takes but as you said you have to be you have to be hitting all the marks yeah and what we're doing like you know we've been working with the amity affliction for over 15 years like well so for over 10 years mm. illy vance joy 10 years this year like we're all about building long-term careers like that's really our point of difference yep. um we'll work with any genre of music but equally we're not going to just jump on the new trend of of a, of a genre whether it's you know the, the, the flavor of the month. Yeah, like we're really rap. all about, yeah. Um, <laughs> we're all about, yeah, investing in careers. Like, and that's a theme that will just continue to come up for me. Like um, it's all about, you know, cause for me, like I pinch myself that I've been able to have a career like this from music. If I can help artists do that. Like when I see a musician buy their first house, like that's like the coolest thing ever. Cause people, there's this myth that like artists are all poor. Right. And there's plenty of poor artists, but there's also plenty of poor everythings. Yep. But when you get it right and when you put in the hard yards and you do the right planning and strategy and when you can be a part of making that happen, like that's that gives you a real sense of joy. Mm. Is there a favourite sort of success story that you, that you like to reflect on and go, wow, like how did you know did we help this artist or work together to get to here? Like is there one that you think you really you know worked together, unified holistically with the artist that got them to where they are? Yeah, like I never want to take too much credit yeah. um, because it all comes down to us just helping amplify the talent that's already there. Mm. Um, although like, you know, a lot of work goes into 
into getting an artist to uh, to a place of success because it's also time. Like you know, it was yep. it was probably three years before, um, like with any artist, like it doesn't just happen overnight. Um, like I'm really proud of the Amity Affliction story. I'm really proud of the Violent Soho story. I don't know if you know much about that band, no. um, but so they're a band from Brisbane who we've been managing for almost ten years. Um, when we when we actually signed them, they they sort of had a career before us. They'd um, been signed to a big label in America, moved to the US, had a crack, didn't kind of work out, and they moved back. Um, and they started again at the start. Their first time back in Australia, they played like the Tote, uh, which is you know a great pub in Collingwood, but it's you know it's a pretty small venue. And so Nick Yates, who unfortunately doesn't work with us anymore, the company, but he was their manager and he was like, Jaden, trust me, this band's going to be the thing, right? And so um, I was really busy overseas with with Vance and other artists traveling around. And so I kind of missed the sort of the moment where it all kind of took off. Um, it was the big day out, which is, you know, feels like a long time ago now, but um, where they just really kind of broke through on that tour and their song covered in Chrome became like a huge hit and big Triple J Hottest 100 moment. And all of a sudden the band went from, you know, playing the tote, you know, to the corner hotel to all of a sudden playing, you know, like really big venues and sort of becoming a bit of a, a household name. And so just getting to see the hard work that was put in by, by Nick Yates and his team and the band and, and, and the wider team, it's just really rewarding to see uh, a band, yeah, put in that work and, and get those results. Huge. Yeah, Violent Soho, I only like, embarrassingly discovered them like, a couple of years ago when I was watching like, the best of the Triple J Top 100. Yeah. Crazily. Yeah, yeah. great They're band. Huge. Awesome. Um, speaking about yourself, you're, something that I love about you and, and really admire is the way you've been able to do this. Um, I think if you look at your you know, business, your group, Unified Music, and how big that is, and knowing all the effort and work that's put into it, what would you say to anyone that's getting into business, um, firstly, and what have been some of maybe your biggest your biggest lessons in being able to get to where you are? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Actually, I went and spoke at my high school um, careers night the other week. Yeah, what school did you go to? St Kevin's College. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so they hit me up on LinkedIn, um, and I got back to them, and and I went down, and there was about um, twenty different like rooms set up for different career paths and it was like year nines and tens and so it was everything from like real estate to military to you know trades everything and so I was in the startup and entrepreneur room and so it was me and two other a venture capital lawyer um, and a startup founder and it was really interesting because I'm like I got to take this really seriously because I'm speaking to really young minds about giving them advice on you know how to get started because in a way, I kind of almost started Boomtown when I was still at school. Mm. And then I went on to have some of my biggest success with Vance Joy, who also went to the same school. So I was like, these kids are going to be really listening to what I have to say. Um, for me, because I started at such a young, inexperienced age, I had no idea what I was doing. So I have to kind of almost like retrofit my advice, which I do now in real time as we start new businesses or we invest in new businesses. I think the biggest thing is like getting clear on what it is you're trying to achieve. Like why, why do I want to do this? You know, why do I want to solve this problem? Um, you know, heaps normal. You know, why do we want to start a non-alcoholic beer company? Like we didn't start it, but we, we one of the early investors in it. Um, getting really clear on that um, and then getting good people around you and creating a good plan so you can then execute on that. I shouldn't admit some of this publicly, but like I remember we worked with this band early on called The Getaway Plan 
who yeah. put out an incredible album called Other Voices, Other Rooms. Yeah, Nice fringes as well. Yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember hanging out with my big brother and he was like, um, he's like, oh, how's everything going? I'm like, yeah, good, good. Yeah, getaway plans, go in the studio tomorrow to record. And he's like, oh, cool. Like, he's like, how do you pay for that? And I literally looked at him. I said, I, I actually don't know. And he's like, well, what do you mean you don't know? He's like, they're going to record tomorrow. I was like, yeah, fuck. I better, I better figure that out, hey? Um, and like, it was those sorts of moments of like, and I ended up putting it on my credit card or something ridiculous like that. It was like back in the day when the ANZ would give like your cat a credit card. Yeah. Um, that was like literally a thing. Um, but it was just like probably like not being prepared enough and not actually like, like knowing something like that was coming and not actually figuring out a plan. Mm. And probably I didn't want to, didn't want to face the fact that I probably didn't have the money to do it. Um, and which is terrible, terrible advice. Like, especially as an investor, like we're constantly investing in companies so they can have runway, so they can burn cash, so they can grow. For me, um, we bootstrapped in the, in the most like, literal sense of the word like we were just working off absolutely nothing so yeah being a bit more prepared and probably like um and yeah i've got you on to good to great by jim collins but like confronting the brutal facts like going okay like the brutal fact is i got a ten thousand dollar invoice due next week and i've got no money what am i going to do about it whereas instead i just pretended it wasn't happening and it took my brother asking me a casual question while we're probably playing like Tony Hawk or something like that um, to actually figure out what, what I had to do. Hmm. Did you, from that moment as well, did you, do you think like the biggest learnings have been from those mistakes? And then what did you do to implement change? Did you have mentors? Did you like seek, I know you do a lot of reading. Yeah. Like, what have been the biggest like helps in, in that space? Yeah, I think like the first, uh, like one of the most important people in my business life is Matthew Rogers, who's my chief operating officer. He's been at the company 11 years. But he was the first person I hired that was like a non-income generating role, which is probably like I think a big moment for mm. <coughs> excuse me for a founder. What like, do you mean by that? So non-income generating. So he uh, was so not on the front, not not a sales role. Yeah. So like for example, like all of my managers or all of our people that are working with artists, they're bringing in revenue. Yep. Whereas, yeah, someone that's purely just working on the business, they're just there to support the growth of the business. And so, obviously, we had like bookkeepers and stuff as contractors, but bringing in, understanding early the importance of building a team that was going to help build the engine to support the business. Like that was probably the most pivotal moment for me. And, and now Matt oversees a team that has, you know, legal, finance, HR, operations, IT, commercial marketing. And he's got like a whole team of people that don't generate a cent, but support the ability for the group to operate at the level that it does. And so they're big, big investments um, and take a lot of time to build those capabilities. But yeah, going back to the start, like trying to, f- uh, trying to find the things you're good at and doing them and doing the things you're not good at and finding other people to do them for you. And, and that's where I was really lucky to find Matt because we've become, you know, you know, right and left hand man sort of thing. And now we sort of essentially run the group together. It's awesome. Yeah. Super cool. In terms of like um, reading and stuff too, I know you, you love to, to get heaps of experience and knowledge from other people in, in that sense. Has there been any big lessons that you've really taken out of anything you've, you've digested like that? Yeah, I, I, read, I read a lot. Um, I read a lot of different stuff. Like I, like I mentioned Jim Collins. Yep. Um, he speaks very clearly to me in a sense of how he describes business and what I like about the way Jim does it is he's not just working off a theory. He does research. And so he researches 
uh, companies and and, and uh, executives and executive teams and goes, well, in in the in this many cases, this percentage of people did this and that was successful. So I recommend that you should do this. Um, and that sort of like really pragmatic approach to to analyzing data. I'm reading another book at the moment called CEO Excellence, um, which is like super nerdy title. Obviously, I was actually listening to it on the way here because I've got a theory where if you read it and listen to it, you've got better chance of consuming the information. Mm. Um, and I don't do that with every book. I sort of like read a bunch and then it's like uh, the listening to it, I see that as like, the, like installing it, like downloading the app yeah. into your brain. Um, but that's another book that's been written in this sort of research concept and then it's sort of like recommendations of how you do things. Mm. And oftentimes you're just reading stuff you already know. But if I go back to the start, I, I, I didn't know this stuff. Like the first book I ever read in this sort of space was a book called Goals. I can't even remember the guy's name who wrote it, but it was like a very like 1980s like, you know, uh, corduroy jacket kind of like business coach person telling you how to run a yeah. business yeah. and then sort of got onto like books like um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Like these are all like classic, you know, business books and they're like, you know, in one sense it's like, oh, you run this cool music company, what the hell are you doing reading these books? But I kind of took this this view kind of early on where it's like, uh, yeah, I could build my career on being known as the person that finds the next great talent or I can be known as the person that helps build great careers mm. and 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 that's not just the artists that we work with that's also the team that you know the actual staff members and, and and the wider group of companies that we work with and so I sort of made this call to like how do I learn to be better because you know I, I finished high school in 2002 and then 2001 I then went and studied a business degree until 2004 but you know that's 18 years ago like if you're not keeping up if you're not learning you're you're falling behind um and once again it comes back to your goals you know my goal was to was to keep up my goal was to invest in myself so i can invest in others so um yeah reading podcasts mentors conferences all that stuff's been really important to me love that i think exactly what you said today is is exactly what i'm trying to get better at personally like is is consuming content that i know is going to help me and it's only in the last sort of couple months as well i've realized how i best learn and for me, you know, we get, um, we're, as a past player, like, we used to get our education like subsidized. So, you know, you'd have to pay up front when you complete it, um, you know, you get, you get reimbursed for it, which is incredible when you think about it. It's absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Bad thing for me was I'd always start them, never finish them, so I'd never get the money back. But what I realized um, in the last sort of couple of years, I love just talking to people, learning their stories, learning from what they've done, listening to podcasts and digesting um, and listening to, to books as well has been huge. So my advice to anyone out there, not that anyone's asking for it, but it's find out the best way that you learn because it's not the same as everyone else. Um, and I'm really big on now trying to, to get better because I, I, I don't have any regrets, but the one is that I wish I just tried a little bit harder in school. And really, you, until it's too late, you realize the power of education and, and, and getting yourself better is actually so much, so much cooler than you, you think when you're young. Yeah, I would love to go to uni right now. Or like go and study right now. Like mm. how how exciting it would be to go and learn new things. I, I don't have time, but I'm mm. so I'm doing it in my own way. But the, the the idea of yeah figuring out what how to learn or what works for you. Like so I was so impressed the other night when I went back to my school and heard these kids talk. So I mentioned there was a venture capital lawyer and there was a lady named Pip Stocks um, who was the other panelist in in my room. She's started a, a startup called Hearsay. And her boys go to St. Kevin's, hence why she was invited to, to speak. Um, 
he she 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 did a presentation on her business and she sort of explained how she's um she's not a technical founder she's a sort of marketing and strategy and she and she outsources her technology this kid puts his hand up this kid must have been 15 and he literally asked her uh hey pip uh, as a non-technical founder of a tech company have uh, of a b2b SaaS company have you found it difficult talking to venture capital uh when raising capital because you're non-technical <laughs> and i'm like how do you even know what those words I, mean, I, I dude? I sort of zoned out then, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, and these are questions that people like, you know, me and Nick yeah. Crocker and stuff yeah. ask all the time. But I was like, wait. Uh, and so clearly this kid's like, he's, whether he's listening to Gary Vee or, or Tim Ferriss or he's like even, there's probably like TikTok channels that are talking about this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And so find the way you can learn. And Because I, I think like if I could be that kid uh, – again listening to the podcast that i'm now listening to imagine like think about the advantage these kids have got yeah. and like so much of society wants to say things like our oh, kids these days all they do is you know look at tiktok and vape or whatever like maybe that's what they do do but they're doing so much more than that so much and more. anyone that underestimates this generation is just like so far behind it's not funny because i was so blown away by these kids like i'm like can i just hire all of you like right now yeah like you're the future yeah no, I couldn't agree more. We um, I, and and I had a mindset when I was sort of coming through. You you think anyone younger than you like you're competing with them and you need to be better, but now I've learned, especially in this industry where we're in, you know, we're trying to help up and coming talent. We want to be a part of it. We want to be on the journey because at the end of the day, as well, selfishly, we're going to be old real quick and no one's going to care about us anymore. Yeah. And if we've got cool people with us, you know, we can still you know help them and live through their careers as well, which is which is something that we love about working with young people. Yeah. And they can teach you so much shit. Like totally. I'm 29. I'm talking about like 18 year olds that are coming through. They know so much more than what we do. Totally. And you get old quickly. Like I'm yeah. 38. I'm not old, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm young. You know, I still feel young. I can still <clears throat> bounce out of bed and stay up all night and do all the things I need to do. But in the sense of being fully connected to culture and everything that's going on, it's not possible. Mm. And you're much better to be doing that through others. And it's such a mutual, mutually beneficial relationship when, once again, you're investing in their careers and helping support their growth. Um, it's a huge opportunity for, for people, for all of us as, as we get older. Love it. Just on the, um, the learning thing one more, what do you need to get better at yourself? Is there something that you're focusing on at the moment that you've identified that you're trying to improve? Yeah, honestly, I think I just want to be a better CEO. Mm. Um, probably why I'm reading this book. Um, what parts of that is it like... It's you know it's a it's a really interesting thought around um, you know you're the owner but you're also the CEO um, I guess you call it founder and CEO because it's your business but you're also employed to run it and it's this really interesting friction that I don't think gets discussed enough it's almost it'd almost be easier to have investors because I could report to someone but the reality is the only person I can really report to other than myself is my team. Because at the end of the day, although I'm the, the, the main shareholder or the only shareholder really, everything flows back to me, but these people have taken a risk coming to work for me. So it's my responsibility to lead and, and, and run the business. So for me, when I'm talking about being the CEO, it's probably like like vision, like overall vision. Like I think that I've been relatively good at that to this point. But as I sort of touch on, you know, I'm getting older, um, and not in like a, you know, uh, 
sad or kind of whatever way. Like it's just like I'm, I'm getting older. Like if another 10 years, I'll be 48. Another 10 years, I'll be 58. You know, it's like what are we doing to build this company to be a lasting company, to be one that can last for 50, 100 plus years, you know, mm-hmm. the way that Japanese look at companies. They don't look at quarters and, and, and annual profit. They're looking at how do we build this business to last forever. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm being thinking about a lot, um, especially in a world that's fast changing with, you know, technology and climate change and, you know, all sorts of like human rights issues in society. Like companies have got more responsibility, I think, than ever to play an active role in these topics. So that's where I really want to sort of continue to level up as the leader of the business. Yeah, I love that. If I answer that question myself, which I'm sure you, you're very keen to, to know, and if you're not, just pretend you are. I think early days in like business in this world where I never thought I'd even be in a business, I was trying to like learn things and manage people and do all this stuff until I realized like, I need to fucking work out what I'm doing myself first, like put my own ski mask on, master my own emotions, have my own goals and a vision like that that's clear enough to then be able to help other people. Cause if I don't know what I'm doing, like what does that mean for everyone else? Um, so that's probably where I'm at. And that's what I got out of our chat that we had, you know, probably three or four months ago was, um, was going, fuck, like how can I do this? If I don't know what I, what I'm doing in my own head and my own goals, and my own vision, which is, it was a massive help. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's and it changes over the journey, um, and you, there's, it's so complex because you, you you're like, by nature as an entrepreneur, you're going to get distracted by new opportunities, right? Yeah. Um, and I've been given lots of great advice along the way, but where one someone said to me, "Not all that glitters is gold," and um, I just always try to remember that, it, and it's a saying that everyone's heard before, but it, but it's true, like just because there's an opportunity like doesn't mean it's the best opportunity the timing could be wrong um you have to say no to things in business um because you're much better off doing something really well than you know a whole bunch of things just mediocre and uh, that's been a definitely like something that's probably helped me back over the years because we do have so many focuses as a group you know it's like as if i wasn't busy enough like i went and launched side stage ventures so we could you know contribute to the venture capital ecosystem it's like probably didn't need to do that um but equally absolutely stoked that we did you know Mm. we're we're on the cusp of launching our gaming business which is in uh managing uh gaming talent um you know once again it didn't really need to do that but we see it as a really important part of the future of the business and the future of our industry so but it's doing things in the right way with the right resources uh, with the right timeline, so you don't sort of you know trip up. And when you're ready, when you're ready to do it, when you're ready, yeah. exactly. Yeah. If we look at you know the stories are very contrasting of starting out something and not even comparing myself to you, but the early days, I think we've fallen victim a lot of just grabbing whatever's available, and you just like go for everything. You think, fuck, there's something there, there's something there, I need to go for it. And really quickly, I've realised that like for me, options have nearly been the worst thing to have. Mm. It's like when you really in a place where you don't know what you want. Uh, sorry, when you're in a place where you don't have an option and the only option is to do one thing, you, you'll get there straight away because your vision's there and you're like, bang, this is me. I'm going to nail it and do it. And then when opportunities present, there's too many. You can get clouded and you do like 10% of 100 versus 100% of one. Yeah. Um, so that's something as well that's been really hard to sort of mask. Um, and, you know, in that when I was saying before about working out what we, what we want to do and what we want to stand for, it's like, finding those three things and going 33.3% into them versus 100 things of, you know, 1% each. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, which has been really interesting. Anyway, 
I'm um, just going to myself here. No, I love it. Side stage ventures. This is unbelievable. Um, loving what you're doing there. Where'd the idea come about? I know you said you you, you shouldn't have, but you definitely you, you <laughs> definitely should have. You um you guys are killing it because you were doing a lot of investing before this was even launched. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah. I it was back in 2016. Uh, it was like you know Vance Joy was happening. Like yeah. you know everything was happening, and uh, we had like you know a whole bunch of different companies all under the all under the umbrella of Unified. Um, and I was busy and, and Rachel, my wife, said to me, she goes, you know, you, I think we just launched maybe one of our festivals. And she was like, you know, you, you may be spreading yourself a bit too thin. Like rather than starting companies, why don't you just invest in companies? And I was like, great advice. You know, like three weeks later, I went and made my first investment. She was like, I didn't mean it literally. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I think it was just, I think it's that idea of sort of manifesting things where things sort of arrive so within a few weeks i got introduced to a uh, a guy from the central coast new south wales called sunny who's built this really incredible business called stl tones and it's um uh software for music producers so it's like music plugins um it's become a really successful business at the time it was just an idea and i didn't really understand it but i could see the vision so i invested a small amount of money uh sort of made a bunch of introductions to my network of like music producers and stuff and then we started to help support him from a sort of like finance and like operations point of view and has built a really successful business that, that's still growing. So that was sort of like the first time I got a chance to like mm-hmm. not run the business but support the founder and I was like, oh, that, that felt good. Like I really liked that and, and it sort of complemented this concept of investing in careers and investing in talent. And so then um, 2018, uh, so so Rachel and I lived overseas in the US from 2014 to 2018. The first half in New York, the second half in Venice Beach, which is just just out or in a, technically in Los Angeles. Um, my next door or neighbor just across the road starting this business called Winston House. He was raising capital um, at sort of traditional venture capital type round. And I put in a really small check as they say, or as we say in the industry. Um, and it was my first sort of, um, the STL Tone investment in hindsight was a bit more of a co-founder situation. Whereas this is the first time I put a, a check into a business and got a really small bit of equity and was even more removed than I was from STL Tones. And so that was sort of the beginning of me going, okay, this is interesting, investing in this. And that, that opened me up to the venture capital network in America. And I did a couple of investments there. And then I was, um, uh, I try to guess dates, but it's roughly 2018, 2019, I was back in Australia and me and two of my best friends, Anthony and Alex Zachariah, who started Bolster Agency, but then went on to start Linktree. Oh, wow. Um, we were backstage at Splendor in the Grass and we were sort of talking about investing and all sort of stuff. We're like, we should start an investment capital business, uh, venture capital business. And we're like, we didn't even really know what we were talking about, but we're like, we, we shared that same love of like supporting investing in, in founders. And so we, we actually went and invested in two Melbourne music tech startups, Muso and Tixel who were two really successful companies. But then it was when COVID hit in 2020, um, me and Alex started like a um, Saturday afternoon Zoom hangout for like like angel investors. And we would just basically get on Zoom and talk about companies we wanted to invest in. And when I say group, it was really just me, him, and our other friend and co-founder of SideStage, Matt Allen, who's quite a well-known angel mm-hmm. investor. And we were sort of, you know, it was Melbourne, it was locked down, we were bored. Anyway, one day Alex goes, oh, I think, oh, I think I'm going to invest in this company. Oh, what is it? It's called Mr. Yum. And we're like, oh, that looks cool. Like, yeah, we want to invest too. And, we're, and, and all of a sudden, like a whole bunch of us want to invest. 
And so we had a call with Adrian and Kim, the founders of Misty Yum. And they were like, oh, we'd love you guys to invest. Like you guys are so cool. But the only problem is um, we can't take all of your investments. We just, we can only take one investment line. I, I don't know if you know how it works with like the cap table. No. The, so a company can only have up to 50 investors before it has to report as a public company in Australia. And so there was, I think there were seven of us. So they were like, if they had to take all seven, it was going to, you know, that's- Too many, yeah. So, so only do one and we're like, oh God, what are we going to do? And Matt's like, well, why don't we start a syndicate um, so we can all invest into the one one line? Well, what are we going to call it? Well, what about side stage ventures? And that was sort of like the, I'm missing a bits bits of details here, but that was sort of like the the sim- simple formative story of side stage ventures, um, which sort of, I guess, follows a bit of a pattern back to the beginning of my career in terms of like, have an idea, just go and do it. Yeah. Obviously a bit more sophistication. There's we ticked a few more boxes and, you know, covered off on legalities and stuff like that. But that was the the formative idea of side stage, which we didn't end up launching publicly until May of this year. So May, 2022. Um, we had a really cool party at the corner hotel, which I invited you to, you but did. I think you were away. I was away. You were away. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so we've since invested in, in heaps normal in yeah, Mr. Yum, um, uh, equal, um, Tixel, like, uh, QSIC, like all a bunch of really exciting companies. And we sort of found ourselves, we say we are investing at the intersection of creativity, technology, and culture. Um, it's like deliberately really broad um, and kind of vague, but equally when you boil it down, it sort of talks about the kinds of founders that we want to invest in. We don't, we're not just trying to find someone who's figured out the, the hack for making lots of money. We're trying to find cre- uh, founders that are looking at things creatively, you know, Heaps Normal is not a tech company, but they've solved a really massive, uh, yeah. massive problem in a very creative way. And I know everyone's doing it now. I just walked past a Dan Murphy's billboard about zero alcohol. Um, zero alcohol is is you know the cool thing right now. But you know Heaps Normal, I refer to them as the Tesla of non-alcoholic beer. So they only sell non-alcoholic beer. Like everyone else has just decided to take the alcohol out of their beer, whereas Heaps Normal's made non-alcoholic beer in the mm-hmm. same way. You know, Volvo's put a battery on the side of their car, whereas Tesla only make electric cars. So Heaps Normal to me is like, you know, one of the proudest investments I've ever made just for what it says and what it's doing for society. Um, but yeah, anyway, side stage ventures, we're, we're here, we're in business. Unbelievable. Yeah. And what is someone like, do, do you take inbound requests or is it more like you'll, you'll sort of like scout people that you want to look for? It's it's very similar to the music industry. Yeah. That's, that's the thing and that's why it's really fit well into what I do. Um, we, we had a party, uh, a Christmas party at our office in Richmond uh, about, I think it was 2018. And I was standing there with the founders of Muso and Tixel. There were these companies I keep talking about, so you'll have to look them up. I've um, heard of Tixel. Tixel is yeah. like a, it's, you buy tickets for That's music right. shows. That's right, so secondary yeah. tickets. Yeah. So if you bought a ticket and you can't go, you put it up there and I yeah. can buy it. Yeah. And then Muso uh, basically puts on, like helps venues uh, book bands that kind of maybe aren't set up, don't have the infrastructure to put on bands. So the Rising Sun Hotel wants to have, you know, a jazz trio on Tuesday right. afternoon or su- Sunday afternoon. They can sign up to Muso and then there's all these artists that are vetted on the platform and then it's sort of like a matchmaker. It's really, really That's cool. That's awesome. Doing very well. Mm. But one of them said, oh, how do you split your time between everything you do? And this answer just came out of my mouth that has sort of led me, you know, from that moment. And I said, well, at the end of the day, I, I look at talent talent's all the same to me like whether it's my team members whether it's an artist or whether it's a founder like 
I just make myself avail to, available to them and my job is to help build their careers. And they were like, whoa, um, that's cool. And I was like, yeah, I just made it up, but I think it makes sense. And so to me, this idea of finding talent in founders is, is very similar to music. So we get a lot of inbound inquiries and we do our best to get back to everyone and, and set up calls and stuff like that. Um, but we're also doing a lot of our own you know, outreach. And then the other thing that happens in investment, which is different to music, is you hear about a lot of investments from other investors. Yep. So like a, a band can't sign to Sony and Universal. They got to choose one or the other. Whereas Blackbird and Sidestage can both invest in the same company. And so there's often a mutual benefit to, um, to, to teaming up with other investors because maybe you sort of um, – can share some knowledge or you can like even share some risk. You can also support each other and support the founders more. So that's something that I really like about the investment and startup community. It's quite, um, it's very much a community. Mm. We uh, obviously had Nick on the show um, a couple of months ago. He's a, he's a close friend of yours, mutual friend of yours. And I think that's actually how we, we came to know each other. That's right. But Nick um, made a really interesting point and, and I love this point a lot. And I, I would be keen to know if you share the same um, opinion, but when looking at businesses and looking at people, we asked, you know, do you, do you invest in people or do you invest in businesses? And, um, you know, he had a really interesting answer around, around, you know, investing in people. Is it similar for you? Yeah. Well, I think he has a saying like, does this founder envisage the future that they hope to build or something like that? Mm. Um, or do you believe they do? And yeah, 100% because you can all, like anyone could have a great idea. We could, one of us could have the best idea right now and share it with the other, but you still got to go and execute it. You know, you still have to, you still have to build the podcast. You still have to build your football career. You know, Vance Joy still had to go and tour around the world 50 times before everything happens, you know? So yeah, you got to find the people that are, that are willing to do the work. So I definitely, that, and that's even more so with, with founders because the, I don't know the percentage, but this, the chances are that a startup's going to fail. Like that's more would fail than succeed. And so when you're putting money into a business, especially a business that you're not going to be hands-on with, mm. you know, we can't have, like I can't just turn up at heaps normal and start working. You know, like I, I could probably could make a request and maybe discuss and negotiate something, you know, but it's like you don't just walk in and start working like in the way that I can at Unified in the same way that you can here. So you've got to believe that the people you're backing are yeah. capable of doing the work. Is, is there a quality in, in people that you look for the most? Is, um, there, is, there, is there a characteristic that you even just respect the most or you look for in people that you love? Yeah. Like Broad I'll, question, sorry, but yeah. No, that's fine. Yeah. Like I, I love uh, – like I, I, I like to figure out if I can trust someone. Like that's the main thing. Um, and I, I, I always work off the base that every, everyone is good. Um, and, and, and everything that's bad about them is just layers of crap that they maybe they either had something to do with or potentially didn't. So like I truly believe everyone on this planet is good at their core. Um, I always assume best intentions, like all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I want to get to the point if I can trust them and I want to also understand like their humility levels as well because mm. I think one of the most dangerous things in society is ego like in that sort of trying to prove something or it's all about me or something like that. I think the sooner we can cut through that, the better we can figure out what their people's real motives are and we can sort of uh, connect more and, and, and be more helpful to them as we help them on their journey. I like it. I was just thinking about what I would 
look for in someone if I was investing in them. I think the one thing that I would look for in, in people, obviously trust is a massive one, but I'd like to know that they've been through, uh, they've had adversity. Like they've probably either, I'd like to know that they've failed before they've done this thing. Um, so I think you can't really know something well enough if you haven't failed before. Yeah. And that's just from personal experience. Yeah. And failure is amazing. Like, um, and knowing how to deal with failure, I think is the best thing. Cause mm. someone said to me recently, and I shared this with a friend who, who challenged me on it and we, we talked it out, but someone said, uh, success is a series of good decisions made consecutively. And, and we're like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. But the, the thing missing here is the acknowledgement of the failures that will also be peppered within the, the good decisions or along that journey. And so it's acknowledging that those failures will happen and then uh, figuring out how you're going to deal with those failures and how you're going to turn them into um, learning experiences and make you better. Love it. Um, I don't even know where to, where to start on this, but you've done so much. Is there anything else you're looking to do? What's next for, for Jadden? Um, so we talk we, we're sort of being re- refining our vision uh, in the last sort of year or so and, and where we're working towards is this idea that unified is building an ecosystem for creative talent to thrive mm. and it it works for me because it, it, it answers this question of you know why launch side stage or why launch the gaming business or why we, we have uh, country music festivals now you know and it's this concept of going back to this idea of talent and careers and investing in good people with good ideas. It's if we're building the, we're building this infrastructure to support creative talent, anything is welcome at that point. So we have this amazing back of house function that supports the, you know, the finance and the legal, the operations. We have all these great frontline businesses an artist or, or, or a staff member or a founder can tap into this ecosystem that we've built. So that's, that, that's, to me feels like probably the most clarity I've ever had in terms of like the journey that we're on. That doesn't answer what's next because what's next could be anything really. Um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Love it. Huge. Mate, thank you so much for your time today. It's, um, it's honestly been incredible. I've learned so much and um, I think a lot of people listening will be really inspired to, to go out there and do it. Um, we didn't touch on it today, but I like to say like a lot of people, like you're a doer. That's probably what I respect about you know you the most and what you've been able to do you've just gone out and you've done it created this incredible business um and and made a lot of a lot of dreams come true so if uh if it if it means anything to you it's 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 a massive um i'm very admire what you've done and, and hope that we can we can mimic it somehow so thank you so much no thank you and likewise i appreciate your time and yeah i'm looking forward to uh spending more time with you and getting to know you more bloody oath. yeah cheers cheers thanks for listening to another producer podcast If you enjoyed the show, that'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, subscribe, tap the bell, leave a review, or even share with one of your friends, or you could do them all. If you want to get in touch to share feedback, suggest a guest, or advertise with one of our podcasts, then email hello at producer.com. Thanks for tuning in. Iliaxx.